Thanks for listening to the Oasis City Church podcast. We're located in Boise, Idaho, but wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you and empowers you to take a step towards living a life fully devoted to following Jesus. So we are uh, actually going to be ending the Holy Spirit series this week. We've been kind of journeying through this introductory series uh, to the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is. He is a person, right? He's, he's not a something, he's a somebody. And we've been journeying through uh, just this introductory series. And really the goal of this series was simply to just kind of whet an appetite for you, allow you to, to stir up your affections for God and really dive into the scriptures to see what the scriptures would say about the person of the Holy Spirit. And so I hope that this series has done that. We're going to dive into more depth on uh, specifically, uh, we're going to break down a few more things about the Holy Spirit, about the gifts of the Spirit later on in the year. Um, But we are going to generally talk about uh, the gifts today. Now, as we get ready to end, I just want to be very clear. This is something that uh, many churches uh, maybe would disagree on or that maybe there's a division over. Now, there's entire denominations that have split around the doctrine and the theology of the Holy Spirit and the activity of the Spirit. And so I'm just going to lay it out for you very clearly, very plainly, who we are at Oasis City Church on the spectrum of theology. Uh, there's what you would call a continuist, which is somebody who believes uh, in the, the continuation of the gifts of the Spirit, the moving of God's Spirit, that signs, wonders, and miracles can still happen, healing can still happen, that the sign gifts of the Spirit are still for today. And then you would have on the opposite end of the spectrum what's called uh, cessationist theology. Cessationist, like the word ceased, right? Ceased. Like they would believe that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased with the death of the apostles. There is no more gifts. There's, the, the Holy Spirit doesn't move in that way anymore. That after the last of the apostles died, that the gifts of the Spirit kind of died with them. That, hey, mercy still for today. Administration, leadership helps. But yeah, prophecy, tongues, healing, that stuff just doesn't happen anymore. And I just want to be very clear, we are a continuous church. We believe in the fullness of the gifts of the Spirit, the continuation of the gifts of the Spirit. And I, and I want to, but I want to break it down for you because I'm not just going to uh, just simply blindly tell you uh, what we believe. I want to walk through these distinctives um, and we're going to teach on this specific distinctive of the gifts of the Spirit. And I'm going to give you an example. And if you don't know what that word distinctive mean, uh, it means like, uh, it, it, let me put it this way. It is a thing that makes us distinct from another church. But at the same time, here's the reality. There may be distinctives like communion or baptism or things that maybe people would disagree on. And how many you know you can disagree without being divided? And so as long as, it's, as long as we're not divided over the cross, like we all believe, Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterians, non-denominational, charismatic Pentecostal, we believe in Jesus Christ crucified for the forgiveness of our sins, that he was buried in the ground for three days, that he rose from the dead victorious over death, hell, and sin, and he's ascended and seated at the right hand of God. And if we can agree on that, then we can disagree on a few of the other minor issues. So here at our church, we major on the majors and we minor on the minors. We're not going to be divided over secondary or tertiary issues, but we are going to be distinct. I'm going to let you know where we land, what we will teach from, the perspective, the worldview that we're going to be teaching from. And I believe it is rooted firmly in the scriptures. And I would would argue with you, and we'll make this argument today, that cessationism is one of the weakest theological arguments you could possibly make. There is nothing in the scriptures that say the gifts of the Spirit have ceased, that they will cease, or that some of the gifts continued, like helps and mercy and administration and leadership, but some of the gifts, they just stopped. 
It's not in the scriptures. And so we're gonna teach from the scriptures today what the Bible would say about the spiritual gifts. I'm not gonna go into them individually and teach on them. Uh, we just don't have time for that. We'll do that in another series at another point in the future. But I do wanna give you just an, a general overview of what the scriptures say about the gifts of the Spirit. So I'm glad that we can just be clear about that. Is that okay that I'm just clear and upfront about this? Uh, and so I want to just talk about the miraculous sign gifts of the Holy Spirit today and just this idea uh, that they are still available and they are still for the church today, for the building up, for the edification and the encouragement of the body of Christ. Now, uh, again, to be fair, cessationists would say, some cessationists would say that miracles could still happen. They, they might say, they, yeah, there could be a miracle. They're not going to totally dismiss miracles because there's just too much verifiable evidence in the world for them to be able to blindly just dismiss the reality that there are miracles that take place. There, it would be unfathomable for them to just say that they never happen. So most cessationists would concede and say that, hey, like miracles could still happen, but they would throw in this caveat that it's not normative. And it's not something that's really available for the church today. But, you know, I got saved uh, at 17 years old. I was uh, saved at home. I wasn't in a worship setting like this. I didn't have a band. I didn't have smoker lights. I just, I didn't have any of that when I got saved. I was literally on a couch and I went up and got my mom's Bible. And I remember giving my life to the Lord at 17 years old in late or early November, late one evening. And that was the way I got saved. But I got discipled in a church. Um, I started listening to this church and following along with their teachings. Uh, that would be, would, would be a church that would land more in a cessationist camp. It's a church that, that believed the Bible, that, that really did, did a great job of teaching much of the concepts, the historical context. Uh, but they would be a church that would land in a little bit more of a cessationist camp, uh, or at least on the spectrum, they would lean that direction. Again, they may acknowledge that there would be some miracles, but they would say that, ah, this is not something you pursue. This is not something that is normative. And so I got saved listening to to that. But I started dating my wife, Brooke, when we were young. I was 18 and I started dating her and she took me to this church that was her, her family's church that was a little bit more of a charismatic church. Now getting saved and having my roots in a little bit more of this kind of cessationist, a little bit more reformed church. How many of you know I had a little bit of theological confusion walking into this charismatic church? I was like, hey, hey, hold up a minute. Let's just, let's, let's talk about some of this because I remember questioning pretty much everything that I saw, to be honest. I, I just remember, I believed in healing. I believed that God could heal people because I had seen it happen in both of my sister's lives. My, my sister was just a few years younger and my sister who was significantly younger than me. Both had received healing in their bodies through prayer. And it was a miraculous story. The Children's Hospital in Denver, like called it a, a medical anomaly. Like that kind of, I've seen, it. I've seen medically verifiable healing. So, so I believed it. I was like, okay, so healing's real, but I don't know about all this other stuff. I'd see these gifts in operation. I'd see even people praying for healing. And, and I'd just kind of have some doubts, to be honest with you. I just have some doubts. And, and there would be these moments where uh, these, these people would pray or they'd operate in some of these gifts and they'd believe for these things or they'd speak out prophetically. And I would be like, I just, ah, but the more time that I spent under this teaching, the more time that I spent around people on fire for God, the more time that I dove into the Word of God and I began to explore what the Scriptures actually teach about these gifts and about the, the working of these gifts in the life of the church today, I realized, man, these, these are for the body of Christ. This is for the building up, the edification, the encouragement of the body. And that's never to cease. So I began to see clearly as I studied 
Again, that argument for cessationism is just theologically weak. And so we're going to kind of use a, a text that's a little different today. As soon as I tell you what it is, my, my charismatics in the room are going to go, wrong text, bro. It's First Corinthians, all right? But, but I'm going to tell you where we're going to go. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. Turn there with me in your Bible. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. And I know my charismatics are cringing right now. That's wrong text. No, let me, we'll get there, okay? Hebrews chapter 4. 12 through 13. Now, this passage we're about to read in, in the book of Hebrews is situated uh, in an area that's really full of warning. It's, a full, it's an area full of warning for the people of God and how they relate and interact with their king, with, 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 with God. And so in this context, this is not just a random text placed here. This is actually found in the context of a warning for the people of God. So turn there with me. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. This is what it says. For the word of God is alive. Somebody say alive. alive. And active. Somebody say active. active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight, but everything is uncovered and laid bare for the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, I just ask that you be with us this morning as we uh, navigate a, a, a sometimes difficult topic, a sometimes divisive topic. Uh, we just ask for truth. We ask the Holy Spirit that you would uh, cancel every lie, that only the truth of God would prevail here, that Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of truth. And we ask that you would speak your truth to our hearts, God. We ask that your word would be what defines how we operate in these gifts, what, what it's like, what, it, what they mean, that we would not look to anything else but to your word, God, to know how we're supposed to operate in the gifts of your spirit that are for the building up of the body. Lord, we ask that you speak to us. God, I ask that whatever's of me would fall away, whatever's born of your spirit would resonate in our hearts, minds, and souls and transform us from the inside out as only your spirit can do. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. amen. Now remember, what does John in his, the opening of John's gospel, what does John refer to Jesus as? Anybody remember? The word. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God and he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing that was made, without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So we know from John's gospel that Jesus is the word, right? He's the word. So when we read Hebrews 4, you could read it as Jesus is alive and active. Jesus is sharper than any double-edged sword, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Jesus judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart because he's the word. He is the word made flesh. And so when we read this text, we see in Hebrews 3, all the way up until this verse, we just see this blanket warning for the people of God. This blanket warning that tends to be just, hey, hey, you people tend to hear God's word and then reject it. That's what you do over and over again. You hear God's word and then you reject it. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage us, hey, hear God's word, but actually act on it. Do something about it. Hey, hey, today, if you will hear his word and do not harden your hearts. He's trying to be real. Hebrews 4, 7. He quotes Psalm 95 there, and that's what he literally says. He quotes Psalm 95 in Hebrews 4, verse 7. He says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. 
which ties back all the way to Exodus where the people hear the word of God and then they reject it. This is something that the people of God have done since the beginning. And so the writer's trying to say, hey, look at these mistakes and these patterns of humanity to receive the word of the Lord with gladness and then let it fall to the wayside. And so he's giving us this, this warning and he's saying, hey, this is what the people of God tend to do. And he's telling us, hey, he's literally calling us out. He's reading our mail here and he's saying, hey, don't be people that hear the word, get energized by it and then just fall away. Don't do it. So in the middle of calling us out on this tendency, we see just a few verses later, the text that we're looking at today and this idea that the word of God is this alive and active word, that it's sharper than a two-edged sword. We see this, that the word of God is alive. It's not just a book of history. Do you know that? Although it has history in it. It's not just a book of laws, although it has laws in it. It's not just this random book of stories, even though it has stories in it. No, this book is alive. It's living. It produces something on the inside of us. It's not just this ancient text. This text is alive. And it, we don't just read it. It reads us. And so as we dive in, this is the only, this is like, I, I promise you, this is not the only text that we can refer to, to, to say that the word of God is alive and active. Look at Acts chapter 7, verses 38 through 39. We see Stephen, he's preaching this, this amazing sermon, okay? Like this is a guy who's just like been delivering food, okay? He's basically Uber Eats, okay, for the disciples. And he's delivering food, but he ends up preaching this amazing sermon. He, he's theologically sound, and he's walking through the systematic theology, and he's talking through these points, and he, text, he says this of Moses in, in verse 37 uh, through 30, or 38 through 39. He gets into this. He says, this is the one in whom the congregation of the wilderness with the angel spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our father, speaking of Moses, and he said this, he received living oracles to give to us. The word of God is alive. And then we see it again. First Peter chapter 22, verse 20, or first Peter chapter one, verses 22 through 23. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, watch this, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through what? The living and abiding word of God. Again and again in scripture, you will see this referred to the word of God. This book is alive. This is not a dead text. This is not a boring history book. This book will read you and it will cut you open and make you see your need for a savior. That is what this book does. And friends, we're here today in Boise, Idaho, gathered around uh, the worship of a savior from, from Nazareth because the word of, a God, a word of God is alive. Like, like, just look at this like eclectic group of people thousands and thousands of miles away from the Middle East. And yet here we are. Why? The word of God is alive. It's living. The word of God went out. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, famous verse. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Now, this is a beautiful verse because what it's really trying to say here in Isaiah 55 verse 11, it's trying to say that the spirit of God does the work. It's the spirit of God that does the work of God through the word of God. 
That's, that's the process here. The Spirit of God doing the work of God through the Word of God. That is the, the process of how God moves. And so this allows me as a communicator today to preach to you the Word, to try to do my best to explain a text, but then it's not in, it's not in my court anymore. Like, it's not up to me to make you believe this. It's not up to me to, to open your eyes to this. My job is to faithfully communicate the word of God, to do my best to break it down and explain it, to make it palatable for you. But your job is to receive it with gladness so that the Holy Spirit can actually do something in you. The Holy Spirit's the one that does the work. He's the one that does the work in your heart. I can't make you believe anything. But the Spirit of God on the inside of you can speak and transform you and every hearer's heart. So I can teach, I can preach, I can motivate you, but I cannot transform you, friends. I, I can't. I, I can like literally just explain that, hey, hey, we really need some kids workers right now. That God is moving and growing our church and, and we need more people, especially as we get ready for the fall. We need people that are passionate about the next generation. And I can give you some texts on, on, on Jesus's priority of children and we can talk about the next generation and I can inspire you and motivate you. But if the spirit of God does not grab you and transform you, you'll go out there, you'll sign up and you'll serve for three weeks and then you'll be back here again and you'll start canceling every time on planning center. Because if you're not transformed, if you're not compelled by the spirit of God, Inspiration and motivation, man, it's temporary. I can do my best to inspire you to serve. But if the Spirit of God does not compel you to serve, it's not gonna last. But here's the good news. I don't have to do that because the Spirit of God does the work. And I believe the Spirit of God is gonna speak to some of you and call you to serve in kids ministry, call you to serve in the parking lot, call you to lay down your life for others. I believe that. The Spirit of God is gonna to speak to you and I don't have to try to push you or try to tell you. And like, I will motivate you. I will talk about why, I'll talk about serving, but I, I don't wanna to have to sit here and just over and over again, have to just come on, come on, come on, because it's the Spirit of God that's gonna motivate and compel you to serve. But, but I can trust that this Word of God, not only uh, is it alive and active, but it actually pierces soul and spirit, the Scripture says. Now, the Word of God penetrates this, this part of a soul and spirit, joints and marrow. What is that trying to say? It penetrates human existence, right? Like this idea, again, many of you in the room have had this experience where somebody opened the word of God, whether it was a preacher, whether you read this yourself, whatever it looks like, but someone opened the word of God and began to expound on it. And maybe it was somebody on the street, maybe it was someone in your life, maybe it was a parent, but as they expounded on it, this word cuts you open. This word exposed how dark your motives really were. And this word let you see that you're a sinner and you are in need of a savior. Why? Because that's what it does soul and spirit, joints and marrow. This word will split us open to realize that even in our hard hearts that we need the tenderness of the Holy Spirit. And then we receive the word of God. And that's why many of you are here today is you receive this word with gladness and you believed in what the word says and you received the gospel, you received the grace of God and now you're here saved. Why? Because you believe what the word said about Jesus that he really did die on a cross for the penalty of your sins so that you could be made right with God. You believed the gospel. So let me encourage you this morning. Don't let what you hear today be a, a meaningless word. Don't let it be meaningless. 
Don't let this word just like fall by the wayside. Apply it, consume it, walk in it, live in it courageously with gladness and obedience to it. Like live out this word. And, and I, I know that some of you are sitting here thinking right now, you're like, didn't he say we're talking about the gifts of the spirit today? Like we're talking a lot about the word. Yeah, we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about the gifts of the Spirit. But the reason why I open with this text, and the reason why I'm trying to explain to you uh, the importance of our emphasis on the Word of God, is because I want you to see something, and I'll, I'm gonna explain it here. It is this living and active Word that tells me that I am to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. It is this living and active word that says eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially that I would prophesy. It's this living, let me, let me just read it to you. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you would prophesy. That's 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Paul will go on to explain the New Testament prophecy. Because I know that when we say prophecy, things go off in your head. You're like, what does that mean? New Testament prophecy is about building up it's about encouraging, it's about edifying and consoling the church. That's straight out of 1 Corinthians. Now listen, it's my Bible that tells me that the gift of tongues builds me up and strengthens my inner man. It's my Bible, it's the word of God, this sacred text that tells me that he will give dreams to his children, that he'll give impressions to their hearts and words of knowledge that will do what? Edify and build us up. It, it's the scriptures this isn't a charismatic experience. This is a biblical experience. And so we're pointing to the Bible and saying, hey, we're a continuous church because we actually believe this book. That's why we fall on the theological spectrum of continuism is because we believe what the scriptures say. We don't skip over 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 when we read our Bible. We fully believe in what the scriptures say. And if you read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Paul clearly lays out these sign gifts, what they're for and where they are. And even cessationists would have to agree that these chapters are specifically about the use of these sign gifts within the context of a local body of believers. There's no way around that. Even cessationists would have to agree that that's what this particular text is about. And, and though we'll teach through these gifts in more detail and we'll break them down individually and we'll talk all about that later on. Uh, and, and listen, before I get all my cheers from the charismatics going, yeah, you tell them. Let me just say this. I want to be honest. These gifts have parameters and boundaries. And we do not operate in these gifts carelessly. This is not something we're going to approach with a free reign, jump up and do whatever, shout in tongues and run around the room and blah, 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 people fall. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. We're going to operate within the boundaries that the, that the word of God gives for the operation in the spirit's gifts. We will not leave those boundaries, we will stay in them because that is what the word says. That's why the Corinthians got a letter is because they left those boundaries, friends. <laughs> That's why this is a correction, a rebuke, because they left those boundaries. So we don't go free reign with no safeguards. There is a marriage that must happen between spirit and between truth. Those two things, spirit and truth, word and wonder are meant to converge. This is not something that we're gonna just say, hey, we're just people of the word or we're just people uh, of the spirit. No, 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 we're people of the word and the spirit. They are together. You cannot separate them. You can't separate them. So I love this verse. So turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22. This is where we're gonna kind of make a shift and teach a little on these gifts. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22. And I love that this verse is found in, in this particular book in Thessalonians because the church Thessalonica, uh, there's this warning about a fake revival that's gonna be coming. 
So they're receiving this warning about this fake revival that's gonna be marked by two things. Number one, by excess. Number one, by excess. And number two, by people turning away from the living God. So it's good for us to know that there's this, this fake revival that's gonna look real. It's gonna look like it's of God, but there's gonna be this mark of excess. And so let's just note that for a second. Yet in the middle of this warning about this fake revival, we read this. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from evil of every form. So two things here you're not to do and one thing you are to do. The first is simply this, do not quench the spirit. Do not quench the spirit. If you're taking notes, write that down. Do not quench the spirit. Now the word quench here means to, to put out or to extinguish to put out or to extinguish. This text is saying, hey, don't put out, don't extinguish, don't quench the spirit of God. And you know what, it, it, you know how we do that? It's by ignoring the work of the spirit or neglecting the work of the spirit. And the reality is friends, that is possible because scripture says it's possible. We can actually neglect, we can ignore, we can quench what the Holy Spirit is doing, not just in a room, but in our own hearts. And so there are gifts that the Holy Spirit wants to give to his bride, to his church. And there's gifts that he wants to give to you. And you have the ability to quench, neglect, and reject what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. And that is a sad, sad reality is that many times we do that. Many times because we're afraid of looking foolish, we will avoid, ignore, and neglect the Spirit of God because we don't wanna be the person that comes up and says, hey, I feel like maybe, maybe I have a sense that God may be doing this and it's wrong. Because we don't wanna be the person that, that ends up being ridiculed as the charismatic one that, oh, that's the person that gets the dreams. That's the person that, blah, blah. we're afraid. And again, we talked last week about what? The fear of God and the fear of man. That is the fear of man. And so you can stop some really beautiful gifts and some things in your own heart by extinguishing the work of the spirit. But I'm going to be real with you guys. This is my greatest fear as your pastor. My greatest fear of, as your pastor is that we would have a church that looks alive, but is dead. My greatest fear is that we would, out of fear, quench the spirit of God and what he wants to do in our church because we're afraid to engage with these passages of scripture or because of a fear of what it will cost us in order to actually be a church that lives this out. That's one of my greatest fears. But if we're gonna be effective, and I mean truly effective, if we're gonna really reach the lost, if we're gonna actually live out all that God has called us to, then we must engage with these passages. We have to, we can't ignore them. We must eagerly desire spiritual gifts like Paul says. We must allow God to speak to us. We must know his word. We must spend time in his presence. We must not quench the spirit of God. We just can't. And I remember when I first got saved, I was so skeptical of the Holy Spirit. And I'm gonna share a story that's a little vulnerable. If you will let me, is that okay? If I share a little bit of a vulnerable story? I, I, I got saved and I started, you know, I went through a year of, of, of teaching under this other church, ended up going with my girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife, Brooke, and went to her parents' church, a little bit more charismatic. 
And it was just like this crazy experience where I just, man, just fell in love with Jesus. Like just, man, God just like grabbed me. Like I was there all the time. I was serving. I was like doing landscaping. I was painting the church offices. I just wanted to be there. And I remember one time they had a special like Tuesday night service and they had this like guest speaker in town and, and he was one of those guys. You know what I'm talking about? Those guys. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. And uh, he does this like... Um, Thing. He's like, hey, I want everyone to line up around the room. I'm going to pray for everybody in here. And he starts praying for people and people start falling over. And I'm going, oh, there's one of these fake guys. I, I'm like, football stance, good luck pushing me down. You know, don't get me. Like, I, I'm like just sitting there going, I am literally going to tackle this guy if he tries to push me down. And so he's walking around the room and, and, and doing that thing. And he comes, I mean, he's about three or four people from me. And I just remember my heart was so bitter. I was so judgmental. I was so offended. And I just remember in that moment going, but God, if this is really from you, if there is anything about this that is genuine, God, I don't want to miss it. People are falling over. You know, they got the people with the the catchers behind them going, oh, come on, we'll make sure you don't fall. And I'm going, but God, if this is from you. And this guy comes up, starts praying for me. doesn't even touch me. I fell forward. And I landed on my face. I'm not kidding you. And the spirit of God spoke to my heart, one thing, never judge how I move. And under the weight of the glory of God, I began to cry and repent and say, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for judging. I'm so sorry for the way that I have just blanketly covered people and said that this is fake and this is not real. Now, let me caveat that with some of it is fake. Some of it's manufactured and it doesn't honor God. But there's also the power and the presence of God that is real. And as I laid on the ground crying for over an hour till there was only janitors left in the room, I stood up from that moment changed. And before you come at me and say, that's not in the Bible, let me just give it to you. Ezekiel 3.23, so, so I got up and went and there I saw the glory of the Lord, just as I had seen in my first vision by the Kabar River, and I fell face down on the ground. Matthew 17, the Mount of Transfiguration, we see the disciples fall on their face. John 18, we see the same thing. Acts 9 with Saul, the list goes on and on. You know what's weird is the charismatics have put weird language around things like that, and it's done a disservice to the power of God because we decide to call it strange things that don't honor the Lord. But the reality is when the power of God comes into your life, touches you, moves on you, sometimes you can't stand. Sometimes you're in a worship environment and you feel like you just got to get down on your knees because he is worthy of the honor and the praise and the glory of God can come in a room in such a strong way that there is a physical manifestation and we see it through the laying on of hands, that the power of God is transferable, that there's something about the laying on of hands. Hebrews 6 even talks about the elementary elements of our faith. It talks about the resurrection of the dead. It talks about baptism and it groups in there the laying on of hands. Why? Because there's something not just symbolic, just the same way baptism is not just symbolic, there's something spiritual. Why with Elisha and Elijah, when he took on the mantle, did he receive? Because there's something there. There's something spiritual there. But from that point forward, this encounter with the Lord, I'm gonna be real with you, my attitude shifted, my obedience shifted, my my perspective shifted, and I began to still, always test and discern, but at the same time, I no longer judged blindly and I no longer pointed the finger before I asked the Father. 
And so I wanna encourage you, these special moments, they are not meant to make much of a person. They're not meant to make much of somebody's gift. It's meant to make much of Jesus. That's what it's meant to do. And so friends, I can look at my life after that day and say, God did something in that room and allowed me to live with this newfound confidence in the power of God and his ability to reach anybody at any moment and change them like that after that moment. But do you know how much easier it is to just read the word and not do it? You know how much easier it is to just teach this and not live it? It's easy to just read a Bible study, go to a Bible study, read your Bible, hang out with your crew, but never actually live out this book. It's really easy to say you have a faith, but not actually live your faith. And so I'm challenging and encouraging us. I know it's tempting to turn up your nose at these things and be like, you know what? This isn't for me. When I do my Bible study, I'm skipping 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 because it's confusing and I don't understand it. And so it's easy to turn up on our nose. It's easy to think that healing and tongues and prophecy and these things are weird and I don't want anything to do with it. It's easy. I'll just pass on by those chapters of Bible study. But friends, that would be a great travesty. It would be a great travesty. How can we say, how can we say that we're people of this book if we don't believe all of it? How can we say that the word of God is our standard, our highest priority, if we don't literally live this thing out? If this isn't what our standard is, if we're not gonna believe all of this, then we should believe none of it. So we have to make the decision in our hearts. Do we believe what the word says? Are we people of the book? Are we people of the Bible? Because if we are, then we need to live and believe all of it. How can we be effective without receiving everything that God has for us? How can we complete the tasks laid before us of the great commission to go into all the world, make disciples? How are we, how are we gonna do that without all of the, what God has, without everything that's available to us? The answer is we can't and we won't. We need all of it. Everything God offers to equip us with, we need it to truly be effective. We need all God has. We need his help. We need his gifts. We need his fruit. We need his spirit. Know why? Because you can't do it without his spirit. You just can't. So again, do not quench the spirit. But Paul goes on to say, he says this, do not despise prophecies. So do not quench the spirit and do not despise prophecies. When we hear the word prophecy again, we jump to all kinds of things in our mind. We go to like weird people in the charismatic world that say like, oh, I'm prophet so-and-so. It's like, no, you ain't, hush. And then there's like, you know, the Old Testament prophets that we think about and we think about Ezekiel. We think about these people and we're like, okay, we think about Jeremiah. But then we have like these thoughts of like, man, maybe this is kind of like weird voodoo stuff. You know, kind of we start to categorize it as like this kind of like, ooh, telling, fortune telling kind of thing. We have all these things that we jump to. We're like, is that what prophecy is? No, let me explain what prophecy is. If you're taking notes, this might be helpful to you. Prophecy is a supernatural word given to a person for someone else to build them up and encourage them in the Lord. Okay, it, it's them knowing something they shouldn't know for the purpose of encouraging our hearts. Now, this is what Paul says, according to 1 Corinthians 14. This is what he's saying. It's for the edification, it's for the building up of the body, right? So words of knowledge and prophecy are given to build up and encourage the body. It's this supernatural understanding of something that someone shouldn't know so that it can encourage and speak to another. So he says, do not despise prophecy, but let me explain why he would say that. Do not despise prophecy. It's because prophecy is easy to despise. 
And I'll tell you why, because often in churches like ours that believe in the gifts that are continuous churches, we don't have the courage or conviction to actually teach on these passages and give safe places to train and teach on this. And so people out of their immaturity will, will use their gift in an immature way and it causes people to despise prophecy. So, so let me just explain for a moment. Let me give you an example. I was in Bible college and I had a guy come up to me and I might've shared this before, uh, but Brooke's pregnant at a time with our first and he walks up and he says, the spirit of God says that you're gonna have twins. And I'm like, I got the ultrasound brother. I got one in the oven. Like there's not two in there. And he goes, the next one. And I said, okay. Well, a few years go by, we had Ezra. Ezra is not a twin. <laughs> There are moments when people, again, out of immaturity, will act or say things on God's behalf that are not accurate and not true. Now, does that always make them a false prophet? I don't think always. I think what it can mean is that they are immature in their gift and that they are stepping outside the boundaries of what Corinthians says, right? But I don't think they necessarily have ill intention and I don't think they're trying to distract. I think that they truly genuinely love the Lord, but they don't know how this gift is meant to function and they really don't know how to hear God. And so let me just explain it a little further. You don't get thus saith the Lord, like that's closed. You don't get to say, God told me anything. You just, you just don't, and I'm being real with you. You don't get to say that. You know what you get? You get with a ton of humility to say, I feel impressed by the spirit to lay this before you. Would you consider this and pray about it and see if it resonates with you in your heart? Is this something that you would feel resonates with what the spirit might be saying to you? That's what you get. You don't get to come say, God told me you're gonna do this. You're gonna go there. You're gonna quit your job. You're gonna break up. You don't get that. That is not your role. That is pride and arrogance. And we don't do that here. At Oasis City, we don't get to do that. But you can, with humility, come to someone and say, hey, I feel like the Spirit might be, maybe, leading me to share this with you. See if it resonates. That's okay here. And I wanna encourage that here. And I don't know if you've ever picked up on this, but every other gift in the Bible gets the grace and the patience of learning and maturing, except for the sign gifts. Have you ever noticed that? Like, for example, if I bring somebody up to preach and, and they start going and they're just running in circles, okay? Their conclusion's like, man, you just can't land this plane, okay? Like they're going all over the place and maybe they're just misinterpreting a text and doing this. And it's like, we're not going to be like, boo, throw preaching out, never again. <laughs> Preachers are the worst. No. If, if, if you're sharing the gospel and evangelizing people and you open with, hey man, do you wanna go to hell? Because if not, you should just like follow Jesus. It's like, hey man, ooh, that's probably not the best like launching pad for a conversation about eternity. But I mean, okay. Like we're not gonna be like, hey bro, never share the gospel again. You suck at evangelizing. <laughs> like we're never gonna do that, right? If someone's like trying to do administration and they're going through and they're organizing things and they make a massive mistake and yada, 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 it's like, we're not gonna be like, oh, well, yeah, that's clearly not your gift. No, no, we give them grace. If they're preaching and they don't do a good job, what do we do? We pull them aside and say, hey man, that first point was killer, bro. Oh my gosh, that revelation was awesome. Hey, one thing, did you think about what Paul says in Romans chapter three here? Hey, maybe, maybe instead of saying it like this, Maybe you could reword that, that phrasing, that phraseology there. Maybe you could say it like this. And I think that the hearer would receive it better. Hey man, next time, here's something for you to consider. That's what we do with this gift. 
How come with prophecy and with anything else, we say, you know what, never again, you screwed up, you messed up, you missed it. So clearly it's not a gift we want around here. Every other gift has the grace and the patience of maturing, except the sign gifts. I find that very, very interesting. But I just wanna be just straight with you about what I believe our church should be. I think we should be a safe place, which means that we have to create environments where that's safe. And so with that though, comes this reality of leading into awkward, right? One of our values. There is this correction and rebuking that comes with practice. It's part of it. You, you don't get to operate in giftings without correction and rebuking being a part of it. There's a part of this maturing process. We even see in scripture, the older prophets mentored the younger prophets. We see that there's this idea of pa- these pastors. We see Paul and Timothy. We see there's this mentorship process and there's this correction, there's this rebuking, there's this encouraging. And so we'd say things like, hey man, preaching according to the word looks like this. We'd say hospitality according to the word looks like this. Service looks like this. Leadership looks like this. Giving looks like this. Administration, it looks like this. And we point back to the word of God as our standard for how we operate in these gifts. And these are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But when it comes to the sign gifts, we're like, no, it's just too complicated. It's too messy. So let's just ignore it. May it not be so at our church. Paul says here, do not despise prophecy. And then he says, but rather test everything. Test, that word test could also be discern, discern everything. That doesn't mean be skeptical of, (laughs) it doesn't mean be guarded. It means test, it means discern, it means perceive, it means recognize, is this of God? How do you discern? I'm gonna give you two questions to ask in your process. If you're testing something, if you're testing prophecy, if you're testing a moment, if you're testing the gifts in exercise in a church, healing, whatever it is, I'm gonna give you two questions you can run through as a filter to see, hey, is this of God or is this not? Two questions as you discern and test. You ready? Is what is going on making much of Jesus Christ? That's the first one is what is going on making much of Jesus Christ? And number two, is it in line with his word? If the answer to those questions is yes, then it's of the Holy Spirit. If the answer to either of those questions is no, it's not of God. It's not of God. Even if one of them feels right. If it's not making much of Jesus and it seems to be in line with his word, I would be cautious. If it seems to be making much of Jesus, but it's not in line with his word, I would be cautious. So you're looking for both those things, yes and yes. It's making much of Jesus, it's in line with his word, then we know it's of the Holy Spirit. So let me just say this too. If you have a background in charismania, like if you grew up with crazy, anybody grow up with crazy in here? All right, we got a few of you, all right, we see you. If you grew up with crazy, let me just say that this is not what we're talking about here. I just wanna be 100% blunt, and maybe you've seen some abuse Maybe, maybe you swung to the other side because of what you've seen. I'm not talking about manipulation. I'm not talking about what's manufactured. I'm not talking about what's fake. I'm not talking about what's crazy. I'm not talking about excess. That's not what we're talking about here today. We're not talking about televangelist junk you see on TV when you're flipping through the channels at 1 a.m., okay? We're not talking about that here. What I'm talking about is convergence of word and wonder, spirit and truth, the power of God among the presence of his people as defined in the word of God for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm talking about. 
And so don't be skeptical, don't be guarded. Rather test, discern, and pursue. That's what we're called to do with the gifts of the Spirit. We test, we discern, and we pursue the gifts of the Spirit. That last portion, that verse in Thessalonians says, hold fast to what is good and abstain from what is evil. How do we do that? By knowing the word of God. You wanna test what's good? You wanna know how to stay away from evil? Know the word of God and be led by the Spirit of God so you don't gratify or satisfy the lusts of the flesh. And let me, let me just end on this story. I mentioned earlier that I, I kind of came up in a charismatic church after being discipled in that kind of cessationist church. And I started off more skeptical, but again, the more time that I spent in the word, the more time I spent under solid teaching, the more time that I dove into commentaries and resources and, and other wiser leaders than me. And I began to ask questions and wrestle with the text. And as I really just kind of sat with other believers who were on fire for God, and I began to just pray and make that a, a real true habit in, in, in my life. Like I remember, I remember the spirit beginning to move powerfully in my life. And I want to tell you a story about 18, when I was about 18 years old, I was at the church. It was a Thursday morning. They had a Thursday morning, 9am prayer meeting at this church. And that's like the old school prayer meetings. Y'all remember those old school prayer meetings and 9am prayer meeting. And I was walking by and I think I was painting the church office. I mentioned I'd done that earlier. I'm pretty sure that's the week that I was painting the church offices. And I was walking by the main auditorium doors like those. And as I'm walking by out in the little kind of um, breezeway type area, this woman, the doors were open. And this woman who was kind of leading this prayer group, and they were at the front of the platform kind of like this. There was probably 20 people or so. This woman sees me walking by and she says, you. And I was like, me? She says, come here. I walk in the room and this woman of God, this sweet old lady, she looks at me and she says, hey, God, is speaking to me. And if it's okay, I'd like to share what I think he's saying. And I just going to ask that you would pray about it. I said, okay. She goes, I feel like the Lord is leading me to share with you. I believe you're called to be a pastor. I believe you're called to lead leaders. I believe that God's going to use you in some mighty ways. But I also believe that you and I someday are going to work together. And I was like, lady, you are off. <laughs> I remember in that moment feeling so much shame because of my past, because of who I was, because of the way that I had grown up. I was like, I can't be a pastor. I can't be a pastor. Now, the funny thing was that she had no idea is just several weeks before that, I was sitting in, in the congregation, probably like in that type of area there on that like left side. And I was sitting in the congregation and, and the spirit of God had actually spoken to me. The pastor was on the platform teaching and leading. And I remember the spirit of God speaking to me saying, you're gonna do this. Not even that I was gonna preach, but I was gonna lead something like this someday. And I was like, no, there's no way. There's no way. I shouldn't, I shouldn't lead something like this. But I remember just kind of ignoring that word from the Lord, just being like, I think that was my head. I think that was a weird thought. Why would I think that? that's so weird? But I just remember bearing it down going, ah, oh, it's probably not of God. And this woman, she says, no, no, I believe you're called to be a pastor. And she shared this prophetic moment says, hey, I think we're gonna work together someday. Well, can I tell you something that like mm, seven and a half years later, I ended up working at that church and she was still there. The prophetic word that she gave me has come to pass. 
she has actually repeatedly been kind of a spiritual, uh, kind of a spiritual mom, if you will, in my life, where she's, you know, messaged me dreams or texted me things, just encouraging words. Always accurate. She doesn't call herself prophet so-and-so. It's not to be seen. It's to be an encouragement. And if not for her obedience to act according to the prophetic gifting on her life and share that word with me that day, that word of knowledge, that confirmed what God had already spoken to me that I was wrestling with, had she have not shared that prophetic word with me, can I tell you something? Oasis City probably wouldn't exist today. You wouldn't be sitting here right now. And I wouldn't live in Boise, Idaho. It was that prophetic word that brought strength, comfort, and encouragement to my heart to say that, hey, maybe that was God who spoke to me. And maybe I am called to be a pastor. Maybe I am called to lead. And I remember that word is what strengthened me. It's what I stood on in moments of doubt, in moments of thinking I'm not good enough, in moments I'm like, the shame starts to come up from who I was as a, as a teenager. All that stuff that tries to creep back up, I can stand on that word that says, no, I'm called. I'm called. And God has showed me time and time again. And maybe you've had an experience like that in your life. Maybe where God has met you with the power of God, maybe with someone who brings you some kind of encouragement that was the catalyst for you to step into all that God has for you. And maybe that hasn't happened for you, but maybe it will. Be open to what God would say to you. And so I, I, just, had, I just had my life changed by the power and the presence of God. It was in that church that I learned to hear the voice of God. It was in that church that I learned to discern the presence of God. It was in that church that I received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It was in that church that I was called to ministry. It was in that church that I learned to truly pray. It was in that church. And so I just wanna encourage you this morning. I share that because we need a church that moves in the power of God. We need a church that believes the entire counsel of scripture. We need a church that is defined by this book. We need a church, and my heart really is that the Oasis City would be a place where the spirit of God and the word of God converge, that this would be a place that we would fully function in, in all that God has for us. And, and knowing, knowing, knowing that there is going to be correction and maturity that has to happen. Knowing that we're gonna be able to come up to each other and say, hey man, you totally missed that. Hey sister, in love, I'm letting you know, don't do that again. That was not the way, according to 1 Corinthians, this is supposed to operate. In love, but also truth. This is not weird. It's not mysterious in the sense of strange. It's holy. It's holy. So whatever gifts God wants to distribute, he distributes them. And why does he give us gifts? Scripture says, so we can serve one another. This isn't about you and your gift. This isn't about look at me. It's not about making much of you. And it's not about making much of me, not making much of your gifts. It's about making much of Jesus. And can we be a church that just makes much of Jesus? And whatever God wants to use, however he wants to use us, can we be a church that's open to receive all that God has? Can we be an open-handed church? ready to receive what God would wanna use us for, that we would be willing vessels to be used by God. The last thing is this, and, and I wanna close with, with this. If you don't know Jesus today, the greatest gift that the Holy Spirit, the greatest gift that God has ever given is the gift of salvation. And if you don't know Jesus, I wanna invite you today. You have an opportunity to know him. He loves you. 
fact, God loved you so much that he sent his son to die on that cross for you to pay the penalty of your sins so that you don't have to die and spend eternity separated from God, but you can know him and be made right with him through a faith in Jesus. And so I wanna encourage you, all of us in the room, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. The wage of sin is death. It's what we owed, but Jesus paid it for us. And the gift of God is eternal life through his son, Christ Jesus. So if you're in the room and you don't know Jesus, today I wanna give you an opportunity to put your faith in him. Say yes to this gift. All you gotta do is receive it. You don't have to earn it. There's nothing you could do to deserve it. It's a free gift for you. If that's you with every head bowed and every eye closed in the room, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me. I wanna put my faith in Jesus. If that's you, would you raise your hand? That's awesome, I see you. I see you in the middle too, it's awesome. Anybody else, I see you. You can put your hands down, that's awesome, thank you. Hey church, can we pray this prayer as a family? Just pray this together, say, dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. God, today I turn towards you. I repent for all my wrongdoing and I ask you to take my life. And from this point forward, I will follow you. Thank you for dying for me and for rising from the grave. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet, church? We're gonna worship together. And as we worship, two things. Um, first of all, let's do what the Bible says. Let's desire spiritual gifts, especially that we prophesy, that we'd hear God and speak on his behalf. It doesn't have to be weird or spooky. We can just ask the Lord, he has to hear the Lord, ask to be able to have the boldness to speak when he speaks to us. Let's ask the Lord to move in our lives in these ways. Now, again, when we ask for spiritual gifts, it's not just the sign gifts. There's help and leadership, administration and giving. There's all these other gifts, but we're gonna be a church that asks and seeks. So let's ask today, Holy Spirit, would you give us your gifts? Whatever you need to give us so that we can accomplish your purposes, whatever that looks like. And we're not gonna be jealous that we have gift of something and somebody else has the gift of something else. No, that's not what we do. Because you might be a foot and I might be an eye and you know, we're all part of the body of Christ. But we're gonna ask the Holy Spirit to give us gifts. And we're asking the Holy Spirit to accomplish his purposes in the city of Boise, through this church and through every church in the, in the valley. And we're gonna have communion available. If you want communion, it's totally up to you. It's gonna be self-guided and directed. Uh, I'm gonna set it off here on the side of the stage. Actually, would you mind grabbing uh, this communion, guys, and setting it on the side of the stage over there? Um, if you'd like to have self-directed communion, you can do that in this time too. But we're gonna worship together. Would you just bow your head, close your eyes? Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. Father, I do pray that you would stir up a desire and a hunger for more of you. God, I pray that we would be people that would eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially that we would prophesy, that we would hear from you and speak on your behalf. God, I pray for boldness. I pray for zeal. I pray for a fire. God, I pray that we would not be people that are content with just a, a Sunday morning experience, that all of our lives would be immersed in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. God, may we be people that are not just okay with the by and by, with just kind of hanging out, with just waiting. You know, can we be people that are excited? Can we be people that are passionate about what God is doing in our city, what God is doing in our church, what God is doing in our lives, what God is doing in our family. Lord, I pray you would stir up hunger and stir up passion in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray, amen, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Oasis City Church podcast. We would love the opportunity to connect with you, pray for you, or give you next steps on your journey of following Jesus. Send us an email to info at oasiscity.church to get connected today.